previously on The Outsider. Heath Hofstetter worked with Terry's father. Madeline's wife and daughter said some guy scratched her. I'm starting to think that there's a connection between the two men. Which one is Peter Madeline? Yes. Maybe you caught something from the first guy. Can't catch murder. You've been staring at that thing since I got here. You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. I need to take a look at the footage of Terry Maitland from the day of the murder. Hofstetter was all over the bodies. You wouldn't believe the fallout in those two families. The kid just walked in and says he needs to talk to you. I lied the last time we talked. I was scared of him. Can you try to draw him? Another child killer who will cross paths with Heath Hofstetter. What he does can never be undone. When you were a child, who were you told would come for you? It takes what it wants. It takes what it wants. It sounds like gin. <laughs> no, I just take what I need. Oh, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm glad I know that now. Uh, hello, welcome to an all-new episode of Talking um, the Outsider. I am your host, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, the one and only Jen. How you doing? I think that should be my new nickname. The one and only? No, uh, take what you need. Yes. Yes, Take yes, what yes. You done. Yeah, I agree. I think that is exactly what your name should be, young lady. It, it definitely suits me, I think. All right. So we are yet again here for another episode. This is episode um, five of the, the TV series. And this episode was called Tear Drinker. Drinker. So um, I think... A good place to start off with this particular episode is um, the very beginning. Once again, uh-oh, we're having a little technical issue. Um, you know, we start off with another flashback. And in this flashback, we, we, have, um, we have someone's death already being foretold. Um, here we go. Sorry about that. And um, so this is one of those episodes where, you know, kind of I call it J.J. Abrams, where we sh- they show us the end and then we they show us how they, that we got there. So what do you think about this uh, this opening flashback? I OK, so this is the only episode so far that I really didn't like. Uh, and I didn't like it, I, I guess, partly for that. I felt like it was silly and contrived and we didn't need that. But also because I am totally willing to be a part of a slow burn process uh, where narrative ekes out bits at a time and where we, you know, sort of uncover things when it's done in service of developing the characters, because I do feel like that is really important. But this episode did sort of neither uh, the 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 eking out of information was so slow and so incredibly almost painful in its delivery and we didn't get anything as compensation we didn't get you know sort of a, a deeper 
bigger character understanding. There, there were all additions to things, but there were all additions to things that we already knew. And I, it just, I don't know, this episode in particular just really felt like a very weird, almost like a transition episode. I don't really understand why anything in this episode couldn't have been incorporated in other episodes, but it is what it is. Um, having said that, the uh, one of the things that this, this show is really good at is basically showing us instead of telling us. And this definitely, the death of this person that we see at the beginning is definitely a big show that later Holly kind of uncovers as the episode goes along. What did you think? Um, yeah, I think, well, basically this is being used. Oh, wait. Sorry. Sorry about that. I was on mute. Uh, so what this is, this episode is used to show us kind of like, um, this is where it's a lot about Jack Hoskins. Well, it is. You're right. And again, I'm, I'm not, it's always so hard to criticize a, a series, especially when you like it. But this particular episode just felt like it was protracted to the point of it was painful. It was just painful. Mm. You know, it's funny. Um, this wasn't for me that. And there's another episode that we're going to get to later that was kind of like that for me. Mm. But um, uh, actually, I did enjoy this. I remember enjoying this episode. And one thing we get to see in this episode is kind of what it what um the outsider or El Cuco or whatever you want to call him uh wants from Jack you right. know so we see that he has Jack doing chores you know he's in this scene he is getting a dead deer he's setting up a um a living space for El Cuco in the middle of the, in the middle of the woods. And we have, we have (laughs) Jack, you know, he's like, Hey, I've done everything you want. Can you please just give me some relief? And no, El Cuco still got that boot on his neck. If you, if you will. Right. So, uh, I think that, you know, that particular, this is one thing that we get. And then we get it by, Showing us, so we're the way they're doing this is like this is the future for Jack, right? By showing the character in the beginning who's connected to the Hostetler, uh, you know, storyline. So, right, ultimately, this is where you will end up, right? It, I mean, it does, you know, it, it remarkably feels very, uh, like it's full of foreshadowing. Oh. It definitely feels that way. Definitely. So uh, we'll go back to that. Um, one of the good images, I think, is in, in this particular episode is uh, we go to uh, um, Jeannie uh, um, Anderson, and she's at work, and there's a guy with a hoodie on. And you're like, what? Is he coming for her at work? You know, like, what's going on here, you know? and Well, and wait, mm-hmm. let's... let's- Wait, let's preface this with Jeannie seems to have this strong connection 
to whatever it is that's going on. Um, and she has been directly involved with the Maitland children in sort of uncovering what what happened, whether, you know, the entity actually met. And again, you know, I am not of the opinion that something couldn't have been happening in the scene. Remember what we talked about before in, in a previous episode. There is a sense of dread that people get. Jack felt it when he went into the barn. There is a sense of dread that people get when this thing is around. And I think if you are particularly resonant to it, you will pick it up. And I feel like that's what was being said here about Jeannie. Yeah. Um, so you don't believe it was a psych out? No. I think there actually was something happening. And I think it, it later clarifies itself because it visits her. Yeah. So we might as well just go right on into the visit. Um, so back at the Anderson home in the middle of the night, uh, Jeannie Anderson gets a visit from the outsider. And uh, I'll let you tell the audience uh, what exactly the outsider told Jeannie. Well, he, it, I should say it, because I don't know if it's actually a he. It does seem to prefer men over women just statistically, but we know that it doesn't really care because it was Maria too. So it seems to uh, tell her that something big is going to happen. And, and the, the interesting thing to me is this is basically the same thing that Jessa told them as well. You know, if you don't stop, something bad is going to happen. And it makes me wonder if the entity honestly feels threatened by this or if this is just not a further way to terrorize and bring up the, the kinds of chaotic grief and chaotic sadness and chaotic other stuff that is happening around them. Like, it almost felt like it appeared to Jessa to try to get Jessa to respond in, in a way that would, you know, act with more grief, act with more sadness. And in for all intents and purposes, it didn't because Jessa was just too strong or because the people around Jessa were strong enough to give her good counsel. And in this case, it also feels like it is trying to get Jeannie to somehow respond in a way that would give her dread, make her feel terrorized. And she does, for sure. But I, I, I feel like it's not actually trying to warn Ralph away as much as it's trying to create that kind of manifestation. Right. And, in, you know, in case you thought it was a dream... We see that because uh, she dropped it. We forgot to mention she drops the glass, right, steps she drops on the it, glass. and we see that her feet are all cut up from it. So, you know, um, so it wasn't just a dream. But of course, Ralph uh, doesn't believe that it, it happened. She believes it's a dream, and, and you can understand why. And she's very bothered by the fact that that um, he doesn't believe her. So and, and belief, and, remember, that's the theme. So, and I, I think we should also remember that while Jeannie is getting visited by you know the entity because she's a, perhaps more resilient to this, uh, Ralph is actually seeing visions of his dead son. Right. And so, how this thing is 
complicated in terms of what emotions and how what it's playing off of feels very it just feels very overwhelming right so yeah this is a that's interesting too like is that from his own mind seeing his dead son or is that i don't think the outsider is doing that right well, at this point, it, it doesn't matter. And I feel like that's what we get to here. What we get to here is there's enough chaotic influence happening that it doesn't matter what what is manifesting to who. What matters is that there is this pervasive sense of grief and sadness and dread around all of them. Because if that's what it's feeding off of, I don't think it cares whether it's making the physical manifestation or whether it's simply bringing up enough emotion to swirl that, to make that a reality for him. Right. Going back to Holly, Holly is now on the, trying to uh, figure out more about the Hostetter case. And um, she goes to this uh, grave site because she, remember, she has the conversation with the bartender. And it was this episode, I'm sorry, where she um, offers to, uh, she gets the uh, bartender to drive her around. Um, and uh, they take her to this this um, gravesite because they come to this understanding po- that maybe this thing may want to hang around the gravesite to to drink the tears, the emotions, the you know the grief that's going on, and that's a great sight. And while she's there, she runs into the the man we see who's who oh, dies at the yeah at the very beginning. He's at the gravesite, and um, he has the markings on the back of his neck that Jack Hoskins has. It's also interesting that she uh, that after right after the scene, they go to um, the house where uh, Heath's home uh, was, and the 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 bed being made was at. It's such an interesting thing because, you know, they there's definitely a little psychology going on in terms of uh, like maybe it has a little twinge of care for its victims. You know, maybe there's something a little bit uh, more psychological happening here. But the, but my feeling about and always has been about this entity is that it the entity itself is smart enough to know that it can't act in total malice on its own because that would not get it what it wants it has to have these bouts of empathy these or perceived empathy it has to have these bouts of let me take your pain away not just let me drink from your grief it because that's what keeps people believing is let me take your pain away. Let me help you see maybe, you know, this is good. And in the book, uh, the entity actually, doesn't the entity actually uh, cure somebody's cancer? Yes. Uh, well, um, or promises, to promises. It. That's the book though. Yeah, well, right. But what I'm saying is like that you can see that there is definitely a a parallel here. There's a correlation between, you know, and the bed was, I think, the perfect. It it really was a good uh, it was a good visual high point to show that. Yeah. 
And an- another thing, too, is um, uh, Holly starts to get this idea that possibly something like this, the events that happened around Heath's case uh, could p- potentially be the same around Terry's case. So right. he has, uh, I'm sorry, she has um, uh, Ralph go to the, the grave site where Terry's buried and just take photos around. And while they're doing it, as uh, Yoon is there, um, Glory Maitland is there, uh, as well as Jeannie. And that's when they made the the realization that the the barn in which, you know, um, they found the clothes and where El Cuco made his encounter with Jack Hoskins is right there next to the gravesite. And the idea behind that is he wanted to be close to the grief, you know, because that's what he that's what he feeds off of. Right. Well, and and again, you know, not to keep sort of beating this over the head, but it does speak to this higher level of intelligence that this thing is smart enough to know it's not just mindlessly feeding off of it's very calculated. It is very it really is playing a long game which is very terrifying yeah very very terrifying and you you're like okay what is what the heck is going on here you know so um and i'm trying to uh pull up a clip because i i want to uh have this where people can see um just the uh, image should be good enough um, we also have, and we haven't talked about Betsy Riggins. Uh, I'm sorry. She's uh, Tamika Collins. I'm sorry. In this, <laughs> I'm going right back right, to the book. Right, right, with the baby. Uh, and the baby who is who is partners with um, Jack. Jack. Right. And uh, so she's just had a baby and she's possibly having a dream. And in the dream, she sees a hooded figure. Uh, she has a, uh, I'm sorry, she sees this hooded, hooded figure over the crib, and I believe he uh, takes the baby too, right? So, mm-hmm. and uh, when she, you know, she wakes up and it was just totally a dream, or was it a dream? Well, right, or was it? That's the good, that's a good question. So why do you think, you know, uh, cause why do you think they put this scene in, in here? I'm, I'm trying to figure well, that one out. My, my understanding is that, is that the, our outsider is now seen through the eyes of Jack and it makes just too much of a tempting target for, uh, for outsider not to try to participate in that moment in some way. Now what happens though to sort of maybe thwart it just a little bit is Jack refusing to follow the baby. I mean, to hold the baby. And, and it seems to me like maybe uh, it's sort of uh, like Jack is pushing back and somehow the, the entity is, is, is trying to maybe utilize that relationship even further or, or even more to its benefit by saying, do you see how easy it is for me to sort of get in here? I, I don't know if it communicated and obviously 
we don't know if it's communicating with Jack directly about that, but that's my feeling. My feeling is that is that that's what it would have showed Jack to say, see if you don't do what I want you to do, this is the suffering that I'm able to uh, to inflict on those around you. Right, because he doesn't want to take... He he doesn't want to touch the baby because he's afraid of what could happen. Exactly. Right. So we have a scene where where Jack as well as um, um, Ralph come together and he starts to say that he wants to be involved and try to help and make amends for things that he's done in the past and just be a better detective. And they kind of have a heart to heart conversation with each other and. Um, so uh, I know there was a lot of confusion online. I remember when this episode came out uh, where people thought that it was the outsider. Oh, where um, where I thought that was, you know, I don't I'm thinking like, oh, these people don't really get it. But um, but no, that's no, that is Jack, you know, and, uh, you know, he's he's working off of his imperative, which he needs to to do. Well, he's he's trying to get information from uh from he's basically trying to get information in any way that he can and and part of being quote unquote punished by the entity is every time that happens something bad happens to jack and it makes him come back with more ferocity about doing what he can craftily sneakily whatever to get more for uh, the entity for El Coco because he is suffering so much for it. So I, I to me, it makes total sense that, uh, that Jack would try to pry information from, um, well, really from anybody, but specifically because he was sitting there talking to him, it just seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And then we also get an answer to the beginning setup of how Tracy Powell, who is the man from the, the opening flashback and who also right. Holly ran into at the gravesite, what happened to him. And, he, and he's also the one that made the bed. Right. He made the bed as well. Um, and he shipped the bed later. Uh, but um, he basically commits suicide by cop. Uh, and um, he, he creates a, a standoff where he didn't have any guns, I mean, any guns, any bullets in his gun. And, he is murdered by the police and that is the end of his story which is I'm sure is the idea of it is foreshadowing what possibly is going to happen with with Jack so um, you mentioned uh, one more thing I feel like we got to get to in this episode Uh, you mentioned it and uh, I was trying to save that a little bit for later but uh, the episode uh, ends with um, a visit from Derek, uh, you right. know, their son, uh, the Anderson son. And uh, which is obviously this is not in the book because the son is still alive in the in the novel. And uh, on the TV show, uh, he has this vision of his uh, dead son. And um, so um, I think. In the next episode, I feel like we need to go more in depth into uh, what that means, uh, and uh, when we when we do come back and do it. But uh, I think this was a, a, a nice ending to this episode. Don't you think? 
Well, it, it, it definitely seems to speak to the, first of all, the lack of closure that Ralph has about the death of his son. That's a big one. But secondly, how easy it is to poke at Ralph's grief. It's very easy because it's so unresolved and it's just all right there. I mean, there was a scene earlier in one of the episodes where Jeannie is actually packing up some toys to bring over to uh, the Maitland kids. And Ralph can't even bring himself to go in the room. He just says, well, I'll just leave you to whatever you're doing without questioning anything because he just can't. He just cannot deal with it at all on any level. And I feel like that's actually sort of what keeps Ralph from being able to believe anything as well. He's just rooted sort of in his own trauma at, at that time. Do, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 These are broken people and a lot of grief, a lot of unresolved issues. And uh, uh, let's, let's say one thing too, before we leave this episode. And that is that they, you know, I keep mentioning like little technical things, but this one definitely gives me, um, uh, a sense of it's very interesting the way that they're doing this the there's so much bass in all of the background music that happens that sometimes it almost it feels sometimes it feels droning which can make you feel uh dreadful inside but when there's a lot of bass in something it also acts as kind of like an excitement and the excitement is definitely rooted in fear. So they did a really genius thing by creating these sort of always off key moments that are punctuated with this bass that just makes you feel like there's some resonant horror happening at all times. So it was, it's just really fascinating. The, the music is Maybe because this episode was so slow for me, I actually really paid a lot of attention to it. But I actually have notes about how the music, the background music, made me feel. Oh, did you did you get up and dance? Um, no, I don't, <laughs> usually, I don't usually dance to fear. Uh, you know, that's not usually my thing. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to to end. Um, you know, because you know we're 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 right in the, we're walking a tightrope without trying to ruin it for people who are just trying to keep in line with the episodes. But um, I feel like we're going to be unleashed pretty soon. So um, I want to first start off by uh, uh, how can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? You can find me at following bliss one on Twitter and you can check out my websites at my newly moved uh, website for where I am doing story deconstruction at studiowhitewolf.com and of course there is my movies make the meal uh website with lots of cool recipes that tie into all kinds of movies all right all right all right and you can get me at kente f on twitter kente ferguson at instagram and of course the website is indyradio.org that's indy radio.org and uh, we'll catch you next time right here for an all new episode of Talking the Outsider. Peace. <laughs>